Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guests today are Matt Donovan, Chief Learning and Innovation Officer at GP Strategies, Kara Halter, Director of Digital Learning Strategy and Solutions at GP Strategies, and Judy Albers, a learning strategist with Intrepid Learning. Great to have all of you guys on the show. Now, our topic today is the future of work, and we're going to break that down into three subtopics. First, unlearning what we know and do around learning and development. Next, systemic versus systematic approaches to learning and development. And finally, the future role of humans. So let's dive right in um, with our first subtopic, unlearning what we know and do. Now, Matt, you often refer to yourself as a recovering instructional designer. So what do you mean by that? And how has that recovery process involved unlearning? Yeah, I think, you know, as an instructional designer, being classically trained, came out, had a master's program. I think as we're moving into the modern design or the future design of learning and new learning systems, we have to kind of unlearn some of the things that we've been taught or have turned into muscle memory in the past. So for example, when I, when I talk about that, there's a lot of power when we go out and we design a course. We, we start off with those learning objectives and says, at the end of this learning experience, you will learn, you will know. And I think the new idea is that we need to first understand what it is folks will need to get out. What do they need to learn? What do they need to be able to apply? I do think or feel those are all very critical components of you know that new learning experience and historically we focused on what we want to put chunk sequence you know there is a little bit of a learner experience but it's tied first to the content and you know how we want to focus on a content centric approach where we're looking at it now is looking at a learner centric approach and that's where as a recovering instructional designer we need to think differently and, and take into different components of how we're going to build and create these future journeys Mm-hmm. Kara, Judy, what do you have to add to that about unlearning what we already know? Yeah, it's Judy. And one of the things that I have found as we try to hire people to create learning experiences instead of just mm, courses, right, is that there is a different skill set than what I learned when I studied instructional design or, you know, possibly what anyone learns when they study instructional design or when they only study education. I think we are required now to be expert generalists. We're required to understand how to engage people. And there are other fields that specialize in how to engage people. We specialize in taking a body of knowledge and making it understandable, making it flow, making sure that people can actually demonstrate that they understand that body of knowledge. But we don't necessarily specialize in making it interesting uh, for people. So, so yeah, mm -hmm. I think that if you can study the best of what marketers do, the best of what user experience designers do in the web. There, there are entire fields that are all about engagement, the creative field, people in TV and movies, all of those areas are about making an authentic connection with your audience, about being relevant to them, being useful to them, 
And those are the areas in which I think we need to broaden our generalist expertise while still maintaining a deep expertise in the teaching of content. Kara, anything to add there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as Judy started to talk about, you know, the idea of unlearning is not just unlearning, but also maybe expanding what you learn. So I think for me, when I start thinking about my role as an instructional designer and what I did 20 years ago compared to what I do today, everything that Judy just said, I wholeheartedly agree with. You know, we do have to think about all of those other components and the MARCOM plans and, you know, everything else that goes into engaging a learner. But the other piece for me that that has been interesting is just the the pace at which new technologies are coming onto the scene that are influencing Mm. how we learn and to Judy's point, how we engage learners. And that didn't used to be as big of a deal for instructional designers to, to, you know, wrap their head around. Like I, I think back to when I graduated from my master's program, you know, in my traditional instructional design training, you know, we walked out basically needing to know about three tools, you know, you needed to Mm -hmm. understand some basic authoring tool, and I'll date myself and say it was authorware at the time, and you know maybe a couple of web programming tools, and you needed to have an idea of what an LMS was and how you integrated into it, and that was kind of it. And today, when you start talking about building a new learning solution, there are you know hundreds of applications that you have to think about, and all of them can do something a little bit different and you know they they all have a different purpose and they all kind of play into that engagement space and that learning space and that knowledge space a little bit differently and they all start to blur the lines now too between learning and work and you mm. know where are you in that spectrum so I, as a an instructional designer trying to help a client think through the best way to meet their learning need it, it's just a whole different realm of what what we're talking about, what we're discussing, and you know the tools that we have at our disposal to think about play into that. So yeah, so I think you know it, it's not just about unlearning, but also about just this, the scope of the learning and you know how do you think about solutions very differently than maybe what we would have you know in the good old days. Mm-hmm. And that seems especially relevant right now that everyone is suddenly working from home as we all are home right now, which, by the way, listeners, if you hear dogs barking or whatever, well, we have dogs at home, so that's just what happens sometimes. But my, my point being that everyone suddenly working at home for the foreseeable future, I think, has forced everyone to become familiar with technologies that maybe they weren't, like Zoom is the obvious example, mm-hmm. but there are probably others that people are having to engage with right now and for learning as well that are suddenly becoming very important. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeremy. And and I think that when it is to our detriment, if we think we can continue to get by not learning these technologies, it's like that scene in Downton Abbey where they got the electric mixer in the kitchen. Like you can't imagine anyone getting a job in a kitchen today and not knowing how to use an electric mis- mixer. We don't even think of a mixer as technology but they did then. And it's very similar to like people growing up as digital natives don't necessarily think of the things that we consider technology to be technology or to be separate from our job. It's simply the way that you do something. Great point. So I think this takes us naturally to our next topic, which is the systematic way of doing L&D versus a more systemic 
approach, although those two things aren't exactly opposed. But Judy, I'm going to throw this to you first. So what do we mean by a more systemic approach vis-a-vis systematic? And why are things moving toward the direction of a more systemic or maybe holistic approach? Yeah, a systematic approach is really important in that you're following a process to take that body of knowledge and make sure that people, that it's understandable to people, that you've chunked it down, that you've made you know, essentially provided the scaffolding or built what I like to call the tree of knowledge. So you have to give people a foundation of what they're learning, build on that foundation with the the big branches of the tree. And then all the little details are like leaves that hang on the tree of knowledge. So it's our job as instructional designers not to bombard people with all the details if they don't have the foundation in that body of knowledge. And there's a very systematic way to make sure that we do that. One of the problems that we often have as instructional designers is that we get so systematic. And a real life example is I will often work with clients who say, I have all my content. I just I just need to to make it digital, but I have all my content. Mm -hmm. And it's all in a big old spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet lists a 100 different topics and and they'll say i have it all here or i have the agenda from my instructor-led training what they don't have is a narrative arc they don't have a story and it's sometimes it's sometimes really challenging to to get folks who have been trained to be systematic in their approach to think systemically in that you're also working with the emotions that people are feeling. Um, in fact, a study found that that tutors are so successful, one-on-one tutors, they only spend half their time teaching the content and the other half of their time they spend managing the emotions of the learner. And so that means that we need to think so much more systemically. Hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really interesting research. But if we think more systemically, it's like what you have to create in your digital experience is mimicking the best of what a one-on-one tutor does. You're anticipating people's emotions. And and so somehow the whole experience becomes more than the sum of its parts. It needs to have a certain gestalt about it. And if you can't glance at a page in a digital learning experience and glean what is the narrative arc, you know, then we've probably spent too much time on the leaves of that tree of knowledge and not enough time building the trunk and the branches. Interesting. So Matt, what, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's really it. And I think it's even bringing into those other things that go beyond just even the training intervention itself and, and I think some other things. So take, for example, I had a, an experience with, with a partner and they were talking about our new employee onboarding. And when they were looking at it, they said, we need you to fix our new employee onboarding. It's not working really well. And what we did is when we went in to take a bigger lens at the conversation with our partner, we began to find that there were many other factors why the new employee onboarding wasn't really working. 
the training itself wasn't really well designed, but that really wasn't their primary challenge. You know, some of the bigger challenges they had is that the manager wasn't really showing up consistently on the first day to greet them. They didn't consistently have the tools, a phone or a laptop to be able to do that. The benefits conversation was extremely complicated and an expectation to, you know, implement that immediately, but I don't know what I need to select and those kind of things. So, so the first, mm -hmm. you know, things that are most important to the new employee, the learner, the things that are valuable to them were not what they focused on when they were focusing on the design of the experience. They focused on here's the content we want to tell you, not the experience we want to create for you. And it's, even if we'd fixed the learning side of this, we would never have fixed the problems of saying the top five problems are make sure your manager connects with you. Let's find a better way to make it easier to schedule. Make sure you show up on that first day or if you're virtually have that first meeting with them. Make sure that you're communicating with them. Here's your tool sets. Here's what you're going to have. Those things are in place. That will actually go a lot farther than actually having really slick, well-designed or highly flashy training. Those things combined with some really sound stuff when they need it. That's what I talk about to getting into the bigger picture of the full system, the training, the non-training, mm. the things that actually go to create a full experience that you're trying to do, not just here's what I want to tell them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that that's sort of what you were saying, Judy, that it's about human beings are in part rational creatures, but we're also emotional creatures. And you can't really have one without the others, right? So, Matt, it sounds like you're talking about uh, understanding people's anxieties around taking in a lot of new information, that sort of thing. Absolutely. And I think, if, and we've probably many of us had known what it's like to feel like to be a new employee on day one, week one, how much new information you're taking in. You're, you're overwhelmed, you're deluged with a lot of information, things like that. That's why you've got, you can't just be focused on here's all the stuff I want to tell you. Think about how they're going to be processing it, how they're going to take it in. And mm -hmm. so anyway, yeah, it's, it's that full systems view of the overall, all the things that go into an experience. Mm-hmm. Kara, what's your take on all this? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I might add to that conversation is, you know, it, it, you're not just thinking about the individual and, you know, their reaction to it, but also the environment that they're in and, you know, where they're learning and who they're learning with. You know, that starts to also play into that whole systemic view is is what's the bigger picture surrounding the learner as well? Mm -hmm. You know, what what else are they interacting with? Where are they going to get the access to this learning? You know, how do, is it, is it, available when they need it, where they need it. And that's, that kind of starts to tap into maybe some of the points I was making in the first question that we talked about, which is, you know, that whole ecosystem is changing, you know, where it is now versus where it was five years ago, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago is very different. And the pace at which that change has been happening is going to continue. So where we'll be even two years from now is probably going to be very different from where we are today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, us as learning professionals, do need to keep that in mind of that whole systemic view of, you know, put yourself in the learner's shoes, really take that learner centric view and think about all the things that are coming at them and, and are allowing them to be engaged in that learning experience. Yeah. I think w with all the, these new technologies, which is really exciting, right? A lot of these platforms and technologies do incredible things and it can be all too easy to get enchanted with the technology or just focus too much. And, lose a bit of focus on the fact that, well, the, the learners are human learners, right? They're not learning machines. They're actually complicated people, which brings us to our, our third topic, the future role of 
human beings in, in our brave new world. So, Kara, I'll throw this one to you first. What's in store for us humans as more and more processes become automated? Yeah, and I think this is a topic that I know Matt and I and others lo- love spending time on because, you know, like it or not, automation is coming, right? You know, the robots are coming. And so I think what that starts to mean is is humans need to move up the value chain. So, you know, when you think about the kinds of tasks that are required in order to produce learning for other people and to help other people, you know, do their jobs better, a lot of those things that traditional instructional designers and learning professionals have done are things that are going to be able to be automated. So that means our role has to look and feel a little bit different. So I think, you know, when I when I start to think about like, well, what are those things that are going to be automated? It, the example that Judy just gave where she said, you know, when we go to talk to a client, they hand us a spreadsheet and say the content is in, you know, 101 documents. I actually just had a client give me a document that said they have 42 million documents. No yeah. joke, 42 million documents. Well, you know, when you start thinking about the massive amount of of data that's out there and information that's out there, you know, automation is going to help us start to sort through that. So, you know, it's going to be able to, you know, can you put a chat bot in place or some kind of a little automated bot that can read those 100 or 42 million <laughs> documents um, and find the answer that you need? You know, we're all as learning professionals these days competing with Google and YouTube. You know, when you, mm-hmm. when you, survey a whole group of of employees somewhere and you say if you need help with xyz what's the first thing that you do more often than not people say they google it or youtube it they don't go Mm -hmm. to their lms to search for the answer so that that's what we're competing with and 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 why compete with it you we should probably embrace it which means moving up the value chain to play different roles. So that means maybe we are playing more of the role of a curator or we're playing more the role of a connector and trying to figure out how do we help our learners connect where that different information lies or where the experts in the organization really sit. You know, we help facilitate the collaboration. We help, you know, moderate discussions. You know, we're not just a designer and a developer anymore. We're starting to play a lot of new roles um, in that that larger learning ecosystem that that is starting to to change and evolve on a very regular basis right now. Mm-hmm. That's a brilliant point, Kara. I think that we we need to get closer. We if AI can take the place of sifting through content, then maybe we need to stop focusing so much on content and start focusing on the flow, the gestalt. What are people doing in real life? What are, what are they learning in real life that we should be pulling out of them? So you know, how are humans different from robots? We have empathy and we have the the supercomputers that our brains are, are more sophisticated. And so we can, we can use that intuition and that empathy to, to essentially focus on just the human part of learning. And, you know, when I think about how we all spend our time today, a lot of it is on trying to make sense of the content. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt, jump in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it sounds like, hey, maybe it's not that close. But when you think about it, I know that when I was traveling a lot before, you know, the COVID and, and sheltering in place, I would be traveling through an airport and I'd be looking at my BuzzFeed and I'd pull up my phone and I would see that like six hours earlier or maybe just late yesterday, somebody had a bad experience on a plane somewhere. And so they posted it on a social feed. There is a bot out there crawling all these social places to pull this content it then pulls a graphic and creates a little bit of a story to wrap around that it packages it up and then it pushes out to me on my buzzfeed so i can read that article literally within hours of it happening out there this content sorting and and information gathering is already happening in many of our other dimensions of our life it's not too far a stretch that we're going to see it very soon in what we're doing here but that doesn't mean it's just pushed out by itself there is another human that is reviewing it taking a look at it and and kind of doing a check and maybe a contextual review and then making sure that it gets pushed out on on the ap wire or or throughout the other news releases but the point is is that we need to get better at understanding how these algorithms work and understand know when to follow the algorithm and when to break the algorithm when to bring in different perspectives and so i think that's going to be our new role is 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 enabling assisting taking that context bringing it to the things that the bots just aren't good at but for the heavy lifting the heavy sorting all that kind of stuff it'll be a great thing when we have really good assistance to be able to weave through all of this stuff that we have to make meaning of it so it's Mm -hmm. not that far away so, all right, you guys, we've covered a lot of ground. So let's leave our listeners with some final thoughts. Kara, I'll start with you. What do you want our listeners to take away from this discussion? Oh, you know what? I think I, I had jotted down some notes, you know, maybe early on, but actually listening to our conversation and where it evolved today, I think to me what I, I hear all of us, you know, coming back to is while the world is changing quickly and we're embracing all these new technologies and there's all this, you know, new stuff available to us and new fun toys to play with, if you will, we need to make sure that we don't forget the humans that are involved in the middle of it and really think about how do we help them as human beings, you know, engage, learn, and, you know, make their lives easier. And I think that that is the piece, as, as Judy just said, that that we can't automate, you know, it really is about making sure that we stay connected to the core of who we are and, and how do we continue to make that important and the learning, learning solutions that we're designing. Absolutely. Judy, final thoughts. You know, I got into learning technology when it first got started and I had a friend who left the field of learning and development to raise her son and 50, at, in about 2000 and then she came back in 2015. And she was worried. She had been doing the most cutting edge research and she was worried about getting back into the field. And, and I thought about it and I said, you know what? You didn't miss much. You really did not miss much because the whole first decade and a half of this century was really all about the constraints that technology would place on us, the constraints of bandwidth or the constraints of what your LMS would or wouldn't do or what your IT would or wouldn't approve to go to be installed in-house on your servers. And I would say within the last five years, so many of those constraints have been removed. So, you know, we got used to all these walls that had been built around us. Now the walls are gone, except 
we're like the trained animals who think the walls are still there. And so if, if you're somebody who has been in this field for a while and you think the technology is too hard or there's too many things that, that can go wrong, you know, the walls are gone. So it's, it's, a, it's a really liberating time. And it's not scary when you think about it. It's incredibly fun because these are the things that we always dreamed we could do with technology and we finally can. Matt, a final, final thought. No, I, I think I just kind of capturing off where Judy was going. I, I think for so long we've been used to the world of no, that many of us have felt trapped to the to the proverbial no, can't do that. No, there's not enough money. No, technology won't do that. Now all of a sudden we're turning not only to the yes, but we need you to help. Now that we got yes, how do we do this? And this is the moment where we're going to have to make a decision. We have to actually learn how to deal with the yes for some of us. We need to be able to step back and, and shed some of those preconceived notions, the things that weren't there, and actually what does good look like in the future? Now, here's the real secret behind this. Mm -hmm. You need to think about what are the right questions to ask. You don't have to have the right answers. It used to be that we thought we had to come out with the perfect design. We were supposed to be instructional psychics, figure out how everything worked. We built our e-learning courses, and it's supposed to work all wonderfully. Here's the beautiful thing about it is if we actually incorporate our learners and their stakeholders and their performance environment into the conversation, we don't have to own the answers. But we help ask the right questions and know when we get to good answers. So I think it's it's pushing ourselves to change the paradigm and how we've engaged with folks, think differently about opening up beyond just the learning, beyond just, I mean the content and the instruction, and really challenging ourselves. If I'm starting to feel comfortable, then maybe I'm not doing enough. So I think it's leaving that that's a big challenge for us to say, let's step into the space and provide value in the future. Okay. A wonderful final thought. Well, Matt, Kara, Judy, thank you all for a great discussion and for some really fine insights. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.